0: There we go. All right, all right, all right. It's uh, Monday, February 15th, 2021. I'm Steven Sierski. Thank you very much for joining me. This is uh, episode number 20 of my podcast. And today I have a, another guest with me, Anna Bass. Um, she is a fellow English teacher, uh, someone I met back in, uh, before I came to China, we met in Montreal uh, where, where we were both doing a, uh, an intensive course called the CELTA program. And what the CELTA is, is basically a, um, a high level uh, cert- certificate for English teachers who want to continue teaching in the ESL industry, either in their home, con- country- home countries or overseas as well. Um, and so we spent uh, five weeks together, uh, not living together, but uh, uh, going to the same school in Montreal, uh, and then she basically moved to New York, uh, not right afterwards, but closely there and afterwards. Uh, and then I moved to uh, China. She has then since since then started her own company, uh, which I faintly recall talking to her about this when we were in Montreal. She had the idea, but she may not have had the specifics just yet. Um, so instead of staying in Montreal, she moved to New York and she, or she moved back to Moscow and then runs camps from Moscow. She goes to New York with a group of kids, and for three weeks, uh, they all live together. And they uh, basically not only learn English, but they also get to experience New York. And then along the way, they also get to make a creative project, such as a short film, or even a, uh, a theater production of sorts. So I thought it'd be great to talk to her because she is a, an expat from Russia. She's an English teacher from a non-English speaking country. And uh, she also has uh, quite high level qualifications. She's moved around the world quite a bit too. She seems to be uh, a language savant as well, or at least uh, very good with languages, uh, seeing as though not only does she know her mother tongue of Russian and uh, now English, uh, but she's also studied Chinese. She studied German and a few other languages along the way. Uh, She's actually, she used to study in China. And as a result of studying in China, get this, she then got a call to work on a movie set in China. So we talk about uh, her history of uh, language study, uh, Chinese, and then her subsequent move uh, into filmmaking. And then finally, her uh, becoming, or setting up shop basically a bit more in New York. I think you guys are gonna like this conversation. Uh, Thank you very much for joining me and let's hear what uh, Anna has to say. Anna Bass, she's here. Where do we begin? I guess you're in New York, uh, I'm in mm-hmm. Beijing. The last time we met was in Moscow. Oh, yeah. uh, that was four years ago. But I think a lot of people would actually be wondering what's it like in New York right now?
1: Uh, right, now right now it's snowy, which is unusual for New York. I mean, it's pretty cold winter here. Um, it's quite empty. I mean, no tourists, that's strange. Um, what else? Things are still closed. Yesterday, our indoor dining was open, which was, I mean, which is great. And what else? Well, New York has changed a lot. I mean, it's, uh, it's not the city people know right now. Oh, I mean, so,
0: because I saw that news article uh, that in, in... In room, in house dining, whatever it is, just started on Friday, like last Friday, yesterday. Oh, okay,
1: yesterday. Right, so that was, was that was Thursday. Saturday, right? Yeah, Saturday. Uh, yeah.
0: So then, when you say it has it has changed so much, I yeah, mean, it has. Actually. It, but in it's what
1: been way? So Now it's uh, it's much emptier because before New York was full of people and tourists, like overcrowded even. Uh, but now it's really the streets are empty um, because there are no tourists Uh, and lots of people who are New Yorkers actually have left uh, to other states because the schools have been closed all this time almost a year and so if you live in New York in a small apartment with kids who don't go to school and New York is pretty expensive I mean it doesn't make any sense so other people have left or people who have, let's say, houses, they live in the houses right now because it doesn't I mean, make much sense. Um, Midtown Manhattan, which is um, office, mostly it's offices. It's pretty empty because nobody goes to the offices yet. Um, so it looks a little bit strange. But at the same time, I'm kind of used to this New York. So it will be strange, I guess, when everything is open and crowds of people are out there again. So it's also enjoyable, maybe, in a way.
0: Where are they going? Like, what states are they fleeing to?
1: Um, I don't know exactly. I know that lots of people went upstate New York or anything around New York, like New Jersey. Some people have moved to other states. Um, I don't know exactly which states, but just where they think they could. Because most of the people who can work, they work remotely still. I mean, of course, there are essential workers and there are people who... Uh, work like in restaurants i don't know uh, they they go to actual work but all the people who worked in the offices financial sector business i don't know banking it they all work from home
0: really so wall street's closed
1: yeah pretty much yeah wow Very what sweet. about
0: fifth avenue or whatever what's that expensive uh, shopping district it's fifth avenue
1: isn't it yeah, yeah. it is uh it uh, has been throughout the year it has had its uh, ups and downs i mean uh, there were some um When was, before the elections, they boarded up the whole Fifth Avenue because they were afraid of uh, some protest and stuff, which did not happen, but it was an interesting experience to walk along Fifth Avenue, which is kind of, you know, all these beautiful stores, uh, their windows are boarded up, which changes the whole outlook. Um, Yeah, so New York has its own, you know, challenges this year, I would say um what else has happened in New York uh, lots of like in Soho for example which is a very which is a district with lots of designer stores uh lots of stores have closed because they were not like there are no people to buy things anymore uh-huh. at least at the moment so there are a lot of empty places the rent has gone considerably down oh. not, I mean, considerably considering New York and not considerably but somewhat down because also all the theaters and all the and the whole Broadway, all this is closed as well for a year. And all these people who worked there, which is a lot of people in New York, like yeah. all the actors, um, they laughed also, I guess. And lots of people shared in New York, it's very popular, like you live with romance because it's so expensive. Um, so the, there were a lot of fans too are in the market, lots of apartments which were not available. Let's say Jeez. before.
0: How much has rent gone down?
1: It's difficult to say but for sure like up to 20 percent, i guess 20 it depends it depends on the like of course it depends if if the apartment is good and good i mean neighborhood and everything is ideal which never happens in your <laughs> well, home it still will be quite expensive but uh but still there are and there is a big choice which was never the case before before you had to fight to be approved to live somewhere now i mean there are more apartments out there in the market and you don't have to
0: fight. So there was a uh, a Twitter spat between, who was it? Uh, James Altucher and uh, Jerry Seinfeld. Did you hear about this?
1: Mm. Where
0: James Altucher basically yeah, said New York, York, York City dead was, was dead.
1: dead. And yeah.
0: And Seinfeld's like, no, you're a putz. I mean, so in, in, from what you're telling me, it's basically New York isn't dead. It's just not very vibrant as it, as it yeah, used to be. I
1: don't think it will die. I mean, New York is too, it has its own history of, you know, uh i don't think it's dead it's just it has changed in the yeah. last year and i think it will continue changing uh and even when the things uh, come to normal i don't think it will come back right away because it takes some time but you know after nine eleven, everybody thought oh nobody ever is gonna travel i don't know by plane or about new york or whatever mm, i mean things tend to come back
0: <laughs> yeah that's true but nine eleven was like uh it almost became a patriotic act to rebuild New York in that sense. Cause it was such a, a slap in the face. It was like, first of all, how did we let this happen? Second of all, it's like, you don't do that to us. And so it was like, there was this push. And I, cause I remember people in my hometown, um, it wasn't so much people that I knew it was the newspapers were reporting that the firefighters, the police, uh, there were donations. It was everything just came to New York and was supporting that, that cause of, you know, get people out uh, who, uh, who need to be taken out and stuff like that and rebuild what can be rebuilt. Um, so that it was a lot more of a, uh, it was a, more, a, North, a North American effort almost to rebuild New York City back then. This time it's like, this is a global shutdown of, I mean, it's, it's bizarre. Uh, Beijing in, in contrast is basically alive. I mean, it's open. I mean, I was at the pub two days ago talking with a guy uh, in in britain and he was like yeah everything's shut down here uh but beijing is pretty much open you have to wear a mask um and we have yeah
1: in new york everybody wears masks right uh, do you have contact tracing very... mm, yeah it's not consistent in some places you do but in some other places you don't like yesterday went to the restaurant there was no form for contact tracing in some like in some places yeah they make you feel in the form it's not so consistent but wearing masks is super everybody is wearing masks everywhere and it's not um it's i don't know everybody's doing that
0: yeah they uh, so when they're contact tracing what information are they taking down is it your passport your phone number name
1: no just a name and your phone number that's it
0: that's it oh wow <laughs> Here, they take down our passport. I mean, now they have it all through uh, digital apps that we have to scan this QR code. Yeah, you
1: have something like uh, you have to have an app or something. Yeah, I I am subscribed to some people who live in Beijing. And how does it work exactly your system?
0: Uh, So we either use Alipay or WeChat, uh, which are the Mm -hmm. two big digital payment systems. Uh, If you don't use those, you can download uh, the national health app. And then it opens up a a QR scanner. So it's like that. (laughs) The QR code is like what North America never, ever. It it sort of started in North America and then it just died. No one used it. But in China, everyone uses QR codes for everything. You scan it uh, and then it registers. You you have a picture of yourself and then it shows uh, the time that you entered. Um, I'm not sure if it shows the location, but then it also shows whether or not there's if there's any issues, like if that area is a hot district or like a high risk mm-hmm. area. Um, and it's also linked to your most recent uh, nucleic acid test. So that can also show up uh, in the in the result. Uh, so that's the main one that you have to scan. But then there's another one uh, that shows a green arrow mm-hmm. and the green arrow basically uh, does one of two things it shows one that you haven't been in a bad and a high risk location. Number two, you are not uh, considered to be high risk given where mm-hmm. you live or anything like that. So, and that one shows, uh, it shows your whole travel itinerary. So if I left to Tianjin or to uh, uh, Zhengzhou, it would show up the exact district that I was in, in those, uh, those cities. And so it gives you the whole, community name and stuff like that. Uh, it's And if it shows red, that's when you have, that's when the guards at the mall go, no, 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 you can't come in here. you are red, mad. You cannot be in here. Uh, but if you go to the hospital, because if you have to go to the hospital to get an NAT and it shows red, then they, act, they get you to fill out another piece of paper with a shared pen. And then you fill out where exactly you were in the last 14 days. Uh, and that's, then they keep the piece of paper. I don't know what they do with this. It, it kind of, when everyone's handling the same pen and they, they take the paper, I go this, isn't this part of the issue of communicating this, this disease, mm-hmm. but whatever. But uh, yeah, so that's, those are the two main ways. They have this little green arrow and then they have this uh, other QR code scanner that uh, registers where we are. And you have to do that for every mall uh, most restaurants, but once you get into a restaurant, you, you, to get to a rest, most restaurants, you have to go through a mall anyway. Um, mm. some of the Chinese shops they're outside, some of them are very strict. Some of them aren't, uh, depends how much, how busy they are really. Cause they're like, if they're super busy, they're like mm-hmm. QR code, is not going to stop that disease? Just come and get mm-hmm. your food and leave basically.
1: mm mm-hmm. But, no, but here QR codes are now popular in, like in restaurants. Uh, there are no menus at the moment, and they're all QR codes. Mm, so you just okay. the a QR code and, you, uh, and they, it opens the menu. I guess it's for, I don't know, not touching the menu by many people.
0: Well, menus are dirty. Same with money. Yeah. I mean, it's. Yeah, just-
1: that's why a lot of places here are no cash anymore. Like they only take cards.
0: Okay. So is it just credit cards or has digital payments taken off like Apple Pay and Google
1: Pay? Uh, they are here. I would not say they're so popular. I think in Russia, they're more popular than here, but yeah, they're, um, like, I mean, they're quite popular, but not as much.
0: Not as much. Yeah. Here, I mean, everything's digital. I mean, if you give someone cash, they look at it and go, okay. I have to go call my brother-in-law to go to the bank safe to get the change i mean it's like we're who keeps money anymore it's usually
1: yeah, it seems to me it's much more digitalized and much more ahead on on this thing like new york in many ways is very much behind like it was built. i mean lots of things were built 100 years ago when it was super super cool but now i mean it's just it's beautiful and i love new york don't take me wrong but uh, compared to china it's uh, the thing of the past in my opinion uh many, yeah like many
0: levels. but i mean china sort of had a chance to restart itself i mean there was a bit more yeah. of the last hundred years gave it an opportunity to start anew whereas new york just keeps on piling on top basically yeah. I, mean, yeah. I think the with new york the subway system is sort of the most uh emblematic of like they just keep building into it or around yeah. it they don't tear it down and rebuild it That's whereas the beijing they just country rebuild country. the
1: whole thing yeah. Somewhere here is new york you know but new york it's the place like either you love it or you <laughs> hate it i don't think there are people who are you know i don't know but who would, would hate new york i don't know lots of people who don't like it. it's too crowded too expensive it's very like it's way too expensive to live here and for the amount of money in other states you can get i mean you just need to really love new york to live here or maybe be born here or like i don't know if you have a place to live here, like a house or something. Important. Yeah.
0: But you're not originally from New York. So what drew you to love, New York?
1: I love New York. I feel it's my kind of place. I don't know. Love is, you know, irrational feeling. Right. It just feels good here. I think out of the... I was born in Moscow and grew up in Moscow. Moscow is a big city. So I'm kind of a big city girl by nature. Uh, and New York is... I don't know. I cannot say Moscow improved. It would not be the right comparison, but it has a lot of these things which I love in big cities, rhythm. I mean, not now exactly, but New York was before now and will be after now. So generally, this is an
0: exception, right? Yeah.
1: yeah. Exception. The pace of big city, lots of people from everywhere culturally. I love that. Yeah. And people who have, um, I think New York is full of very motivated people who want to do something, create something. I don't know do business for me it's important as well
0: that's true there is sort of that uh, desire is it a desire to get ahead or is it desi- simply an inspiration to i want to do something whatever it is like i'm going to do it and i've always Maybe found like so. americans are i'm going to do this big so if i'm going to do it it's going to be either a you know great success or it's going to be yeah. a catastrophic failure <laughs> yeah
1: so that's and new york is more i don't know. <clears throat> like people you can uh, it's city which never sleeps really i mean and moscow is the same and for me i like this vibe like you can meet with people late uh or i don't know there are people in all types of everything you can find whatever person (laughs) you want and like make friends and go to parties and meet people it's for me it's great and i love the i think i love New York architecturally. Yeah, well, say. it's a beautiful city, isn't it? And it talks to me a lot. I like that it's surrounded by water. I like that it has different neighborhoods and they're very, they have their own you know, character.
0: Wouldn't New York and Moscow, wouldn't they have very similar architecture in some ways? Some of the buildings are similar uh, that they were built a hundred years ago, same sort of that European framework sort of style?
1: Uh, maybe, but not really. Moscow is very different. New York is very um, tall, and the streets are quite narrow. Mm-hmm. Moscow is much lower, generally, than New York, and the streets are very wide. N- N- Moscow has more in common with Beijing, in my opinion. Mm. This communist architectural wide streets, okay, Beijing has changed as well in the last, uh, whatever, 10 years, a lot. But, I mean, originally, Beijing now is ahead of Moscow in terms of how many skyscrapers and modern buildings are, but when I first came to Beijing, which was many years ago, 15 maybe years ago, I was, I saw the Beijing, which does not exist anymore, actually.
0: Uh, right, yep, a lot of people have said that, I mean, anything yeah. prior to 2008, it's pretty much yeah, gone.
1: Very different. Uh, and that was very much like Moscow, this kind of wide streets with quite low buildings and type of Soviet slash, I don't know, classical architecture. This was there.
0: The, uh, yeah, with Beijing, I, what was it? I was watching uh, Generation P last mm-hmm. night, uh, which you worked on. Yeah. Yeah. And... I worked
1: on this is my last project in the
0: uh, and I was looking at, because that, that movie is based on this, this book by uh, Victor yeah. pellevin but um, it, some of the scenes there actually are shot in those old, uh, I'm not sure if they're old, I guess they are old, but Soviet style buildings, like the six floors, uh, mm-hmm. and like they don't have any elevators or anything like that. Mm-hmm. And some of those still exist in Beijing, which they basically copied from
1: the whole yeah that's why it felt so much like moscow but when i was there first time in Beijing, there were much more of them
0: yeah
1: and in moscow we still have most of buildings are like this so yeah
0: yeah oh, beijing's just- tore them
1: <laughs> it's not a very popular movie i mean even uh, like even in russia i would say but abroad
0: why not
1: I don't know. I think it's a great movie, actually. And if it was made in American English, it would maybe have been much more popular.
0: Yeah, because it is, uh, the, the, uh, not only do they speak fast, because that's in Russian, uh, but uh, for people who don't know, this this movie, Generation P, is uh, based on this book by Victor Pelevin, who's a famous author in Russia. Uh, and it deals with this uh, copywriter, or this guy who becomes a copywriter through, like, sort of starts and fits uh, at the end fall of the ussr so it was the change in the early 90s uh and they basically say like you got to get in on the ground floor here marketing the western brands are going to come and that's where they start making their money uh, or they're supposed to try to make their money in that situation so uh but it's kind of bizarre uh i was actually i have i have the book in russian when i went through russia because the last time we met was back in 2017 i think it was Mm yeah um that's when I took the train from Beijing to Moscow. Uh, I bought it. I bought that book with the idea that I was going to read it. And I still haven't read it because I haven't had time since then. Uh, but uh, the the lady at the bookshop said, yeah, this guy is very famous. He, uh, she gave mm. me this book. She's like, yeah, it's uh, one of the famous books. And the, I mean, he's written several books uh, that are famous, but I'm not yeah, sure. Quite a any... lot.
1: He's a very prolific uh, writer. He writes a book, one book a year. Yeah. But, so yeah, has written quite a lot.
0: And Generation P, I was looking at the, because uh, I was wondering, because it was one of your, uh, your, was it your earlier credits or your later credits? But in terms of the budget that was spent on the movie and how much it made back, it, was, it, it only made back about $4 million, but it, they co- it cost seven. And I look yeah. at that number, I go, and the only reason why it was significant is I go, this is a famous book, a famous author. Why didn't it do better on a global stage? Uh, And I just wonder if it just because it was it was primarily a Russian movie, it was made in Russian for Russians, rather than for a global audience, um, you know, with properly subtitled English or even just uh, English uh, overdub or something like that. So,
1: yeah, that's one of the reasons.
0: So, uh, but you have worked in films. uh, prior to your life in New York, prior to your life as an ESL teacher, basically. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, you, but you didn't study filmmaking or anything.
1: No, uh, no. And you,
0: and you've brought up Beijing because you've also been to China. So our, our connection, although it starts in 2014, uh, we have, you, you have treaded where I am now living. Basically, you've been to Tianjin and also Beijing uh, and, yeah. Did you live in Beijing or did you, it was like a stopover and then you, you were moving to a different and city? I
1: lived in Tianjin for a year because I, stu- I studied at the university there. Right. It was a, an exchange between uh, Russia and China and I got kind of a scholarship from Russia. Oh, nice. Or maybe from China. Yeah. So I studied for free and I was like a foreign student. I studied Chinese and I got even, um, it's it called like uh, every month I got some kind of money from $100 but at those times in Tianjin in 2003 and four, I think I started there it was a lot of money I managed like it was enough for food
0: mm-hmm. for
1: sure even maybe some cheap clothes you know in the in Chinese markets yeah um, yeah in Beijing I lived in Beijing later when I started working in the film industry and we had a project uh, our pre-production period was in Beijing. So I spent a couple of months there.
0: Right. And what project, was that the Mongol project or which one yeah, was that? It
1: was, yeah, it was my first project in the film industry was um, a great project, which I used to, to not think it was a great movie called Mongol. That's yeah, a it was great a, movie. Yeah, it's an international kind of co-production uh, about Genghis Khan. Mm-hmm how do you pronounce his name guys uh, <laughs> I say Genghis him. Khan
0: but I've heard Genghis yeah, Khan Genghis before
1: Khan, Genghis Khan, yeah. okay Genghis Khan and uh, it's um yeah it was my first actually uh job in the film industry
0: and what, uh, what was your role on that because it said production assistant uh or at least uh, your yeah, production assistant was- for a few
1: I, I worked for almost two years on this uh, movie because they made it, they shot it over two summers in China. Mm. So I was summer one, then a year in between, and then summer two. First, I was invited, I just graduated from university in, in Russia and because I could speak Chinese and then in those old ancient times, not so many people <laughs> could do it as now. Now Chinese is super popular. I mean, children are learning it in kindergarten. It's not, it was not the case then. And uh, I think I got a message from one of the people I studied with in China because it was a group of us Russian students sent there for who got the scholarship. About 20 people from Russia got the scholarship every year, so I was one of them. And uh, so they asked me, like, do you want to work on the film in China? And I didn't know anything about film industry, zero. Or <laughs> but I was just out of university. I was like, I graduated in June. It was like July, so I was looking for a job. I said, yeah, sure. I mean, why not? And I went for my for the first interview, uh, the first and only job interview in my life. And um, the guy, he was a producer in of this movie. He said. Uh, are you like? can you speak Chinese, asked me. he asked me in Russian. I said, yeah, I just, you know, a year ago I lived there for a year and I studied Chinese. And uh, he said, yeah, can you live in a week? We need some like translators. <laughs> I said, yeah, sure. Wow. <laughs> and, uh, that was my basically, he said, do you know like this director, Sergei Bodrov? I did not know actually the director though, he's quite famous, but I knew his son, his son who died, uh, he was a very famous actor. Uh, there were no smartphones, so I could not Google like who brother Bodrov was. So yeah. he gave me the script. I came home, like looked on my old, you know, fashioned computer. His name. I was like, ma, he's a he's a co-director. Okay, great. And I read the script. The script was amazing. It was very, like, well-written, very strong. I don't know, beautiful text. And I was like, hmm, that's interesting. And in, in a week, I just left and went to work um, as a translator and um, so I I arrived in China and the whole crew they lived in in a hotel in Beijing
0: which hotel
1: Uh, I don't remember and it was it was somewhere I think around Four ring in those times but I don't remember the district or anything else Uh, and so I didn't know anything about film industry so everything was kind of a big adventure you know I'm in Beijing yeah. working in the industry the <laughs> there are these people they're like making costumes Something is happening I have to translate so I was just translating for anybody who was there and then and then I think it was one month of pre-production it was pretty interesting because it's a it's a period movie historical one so there is a lot of preparation which involves like you know, reproducing these ancient costumes, lots of research, lots of meeting with historians, like it's a very interesting process to be inside. And then we were leaving, so the shooting, the first year shooting was in Inner Mongolia in the middle of nowhere, basically. Uh, And before we were, like we had to leave for our film set, uh, the director said, I don't really know, like, maybe you can work as a translator with the sound department guys, like, I don't know. And they were French people, but okay, they spoke English as well, And whatever. And then I became <laughs> a translator of the sound department, which was a completely new world for me, because I mean, we recorded live sound on, on the set and I was translating for them. And the set was basically the steps of Inner Mongolia, yeah. uh, which is, you know, the most beautiful set I've ever had in the film industry. (laughs) It's one of a time, lifetime, you know, opportunity. Yeah, so the shooting was, uh, the first year was quite, uh, we had a lot of international crew, Uh, but then the second year, everything changed because I think there was some money issues. Uh, And in between the first year shooting, which was like two months, I think, we shot in Mongolia. And the second year I became personal assistant of Sergei Bodrov. And I worked as his personal assistant. This was very interesting. Oh wow. I think
0: so you're right up the there in the in the ranks stuff. all of a sudden.
1: Yeah. No, it was very interesting because he's a very interesting person. And I was a very like young, eager to learn the world, I don't know, girl <laughs> then young woman. And he took me a lot of times with with him, like when he was meeting people and everything which was about film. And it was very interesting because I I was discovering the world which i did not know at all and there were a lot of interesting very creative people and he was full of stories because he lived in hollywood and he was one of the directors recently of some hollywood movie with a budget of like 200 million dollars like he had a lot of experience in life has met people, he has seen things and he shared this when he had time like he told me stories and i think in many ways this one year of working closely with him maybe made me into and one year in China before that maybe made me impersonate because when you're so young you know you're very uh you don't you're not set up yet in your ideas and when you're so exposed to the world and people in it that changes a lot of things.
0: That's quite an experience though you go from being a university student on scholarship uh in and then basically transporting yourself from Moscow to Beijing foreign country no cell phones like it's almost obscene to think of life before smartphones and Google translate, but you did it, uh, you succeeded. And then, so that also means that your Chinese was very good once you had graduated, that you had got this offer and were, it was able to translate for a production crew.
1: I wouldn't say it was very good to tell you the truth, but, uh, and they didn't check it when they- <laughs> it the Right. Uh, Chinese people roll their eyes lots of times I mean like why did you take this person from Moscow whose Chinese is not so great when we have great. all these translators whose Russian is great you know uh, but I I think I learned fast and uh, also my, my English was good in those times and this was important because we had international crew so I yeah. could yeah translate from English into Russian into Chinese um, maybe I was not such a great not maybe I was not such a great translator, but I, I had enough of like Chinese in me to, you know, go by. And the second year, everything, and the second year, I mean, the second year of shooting on this project, everything changed because uh, we had a new producer, Russian uh, company woman, and she uh, said that because I've been on this project for almost a year and uh, like being just a translator is not enough. And so she gave me a new role of um, third assistant director.
0: Okay.
1: Uh, and it was very challenging because I, okay, I have been on the project working with uh, Sergei personally and one year of shooting where I was a translator, but I did not know yet lots of things about the film <laughs> uh, Yeah.
0: And what does an assistant director do?
1: Uh, it depends. I mean, for dd in America would maybe do different things, but in Russian version, Russian slash Chinese slash international version of it, uh, we were two people, like, the director um, department had four people, I think, on Chinese side and uh, two people on Russian side. Um, and uh, so I was responsible for uh, cold sheets. It's the thing which is, uh, it's like the day schedule, which the whole crew gets every day. So everybody knows what time they need to leave, what they need to have for the shooting. Like, it's a, an important document in the film industry while shooting. So I was responsible for uh, kind of making fun of and them after everything is discussed and delivering it to people. And uh, I but I became an intermediary between Russian and Chinese crew because I could speak both languages and understand both people. And we had a very it was a very difficult conflictual shooting. There was a lot of conflict, a lot of conflict. And there was a mm. lot of fighting and there was, okay. there was, there was What
0: a of sort conflict. of, what do you mean by conflict? I mean, is this like male egos get in the way or people's egos get in the way, or is it uh, just uh, know, interpretation? It's, it was, mm,
1: it's, um, it was uh, partly because the people who were organizing it on the Russian side, maybe did not have enough experience of organizing shooting um, in other countries. Right. Uh, Also, because Chinese, we had like a big crew, it was about 100 or a little bit over 100 Russian people and 500 Chinese, so it was a big shooting crew. Uh, Also, Chinese and Russian ways of work did not always, were not always the same, like the perspective, the, you know, the understanding. Uh, Also, there were some money issues. There were a lot of things. So lots of people were fired during the shooting. Like in the morning, you come to the set and basically (laughs) you're you're fired, yeah. Oh, jeez. Things like this, sometimes Chinese people, they had like a protest one time and they were like in Chinese saying, we are not going for this, to work for this person, people or something like this in the very... So there were all types of stuff. There was a material we were shooting on film in those times. They like, at the end of it, the Chinese producer said, I'm not giving you the last week of shooting unless until you do something. So there was all type of, you know, conflicts. Uh, I managed to go through all this not being fired and kind of tried a lot to, uh, I don't know, to um, to explain sometimes things to Chinese people or sometimes to work, uh, I don't know, to explain. I was offered to be promoted to the first ID in the process right. and send the Russian woman who was first ID. They wanted to send you back to Russia and promote me instead of here. And I said, no, I cannot do this because I don't have this experience. Uh, like you, <laughs> I, I also, I had to learn things on the go. Like I was supposed to do things which I didn't know how to do, so yeah. I had to learn and to do them at the same time. There was a lot of work. It was like four months shooting, I think, in the middle of nowhere in China. And yeah, it
0: was challenging. Were were the other, uh, because you're saying that you're learning a lot on the go. So does that mean that the other people that you were working with from Russia were either from basically a film background or had been working so long in the industry that they actually sort of knew the process more than, uh, more as a job rather than, oh, this is just something I'm doing today?
1: Yeah, no, for sure. I mean, most of the people there were professional film crew or they worked longer, I mean, yeah, I was one of the people who just, I was basically, <laughs> it was my first project. But. Right,
0: I mean, but you were you were brought in as a translator, you weren't brought in for your film specialty, I mean, it was yeah. like, you've and lived here, you know the languages, we need someone who yeah. can bridge the gap sort of thing. What about the yeah. Chinese crew? Was the Chinese crew at all professional, or was it... Uh... Yes,
1: they were, because Chinese people, they, even in those times, there were quite a lot of American movies who or some international projects which were shown in China. So they had this experience. And besides Chinese industry, in terms of the number of films they produced and they still are making every year, of course, it's incomparable. Like they're making much more films a year um, than Russian film industry and- Really?
0: So- uh, Well, that's because the Chinese market's massive now and like yeah, they're sort of they're because the plugging so
1: that big. So yeah. People get to uh, kind of, they have a lot of work there. I so many people just
0: because of the, yeah. So then w- with your Chinese, you say it wasn't very good. I'm only, I'm curious because I recently uh, have agreed with a, uh, another colleague. She's also Russian from Moscow. Um, no, she's not, sorry, she's not from Moscow. She's from Yekaterinburg. Um, and we have agreed that at the end of March, we are going to go do the HSK-4 test
1: no, you know it's just okay, can cool. Her
0: t- her Chinese is far better than mine. Um, when she speaks, you can tell that she studied it in university. Uh, when I speak, you can tell that I did not. Uh, and so now the big competition is going to be between me and her, uh, to who's going to get, she's probably going to get a better mark than I, I just need a 60% to pass level four. But, uh, when you were studying Chinese, you had, did you have any experience studying Chinese prior to that? Or was it like you just went because the idea came up at university or something? Why, like why Beijing? Why not? I don't know, Mongolia, South Korea, Japan. There was
1: a romantic story, which, I mean, maybe is difficult to believe, but that's uh, when I was at the university, I was pretty, my university, my major is uh, teaching English as a foreign language. I am right. like, it was my major. And when I entered university the first year, I was very disappointed because I, my parents w- who graduated from Moscow State University, it's the equivalent of, I don't know, Harvard or Yale here. Uh, they always told me that university, it's such a place when you get there, it's like, super amazing you get all these people you talk to so I don't know you learn so many things so I got into my university and it was a big disappointment because it was not amazing uh, and like we I don't know it did not have the depth for me or we started language a lot from different aspects like grammar I don't know phonetics history but it was all very limited for me I thought university is somewhere where you get a lot of so I was kind of disappointed in looking where I can else learn something. And then one day I learned, we had the anthropology course and we had a list of books to read. And I read, um, uh, what's this uh, Taoism, I think, in English. Tao, Tao I, I don't know actually the, the English. Dal. Yeah, Taoism. Uh,
0: yeah. is a Taoistic so Dal- Dal- a- Dal- test. Uh, yeah. uh, I can't remember who wrote it. There's a few people who contributed. In Russian,
1: it. it sounds like Tao Tezin, but I don't know the... Uh, like it's the book of the main book of Taoism yeah. and I read it and I was like wow that's so deep it's so amazing I would like to know the people like who like wrote this book how do they speak uh, like what is the language they're speaking so I got this idea that I want to learn Chinese to understand like how they were able to write such a great book which inspired me so much and I found some courses and these courses they were free and they were like governmental courses. So it was three years of studies and then you would get some kind of certificate that you were certified Chinese. uh, No, I don't know, like translator maybe or something like this. Wow, okay. Uh, Yeah, and I started um, these courses and then I found out that also they have this scholarship that you can go to China. And I thought like, yeah, I really wanted this scholarship. I really want to go to China. So I studied Chinese uh, for two years in Moscow Oh, uh, okay. We were right. in China. And then when I came back from China, I had to finish this course. It was one more year. So, all in all, it was like four years. Um, I, I say I spoke it badly, but I mean, now I don't speak it at all because Chinese is the language which, if you haven't practiced, and I haven't for all these years, it disappears. It just leaves you. Oh, don't um, say that.
0: Th- does that mean I have to keep on reading Chinese and speaking it, even though I, I will leave China at some point, if can I ever
1: be practice saying? Because if you don't, it just, I don't think I will ever lose my English, even if I go on uh, on an island now and don't speak it <laughs> Like 10 years, I don't think I won't be able to speak English. But with Chinese, I understand lots of things. Like, you know, this clubhouse, layup, which is very taking up right now. And I, I found some Chinese speaking rooms and I switched it on and I listened. Like, I, I still can understand lots of things which people are saying, but in terms of speaking, no. But all in all, I studied three years in Russia and one year in China.
0: Oh, well, but then you said your your major was teaching English. So- yeah. You were doing two languages basically at the same time studying English yeah. to teach English and then studying Chinese to go study the the way of the Tao in China.
1: Yeah I also had German as my second language in university. Of course also- why
0: not throw in some German on weekends <laughs> what else do I have to do? Just pick up this book and learn another language. How, how far was your German uh, uh, in university?
1: It was pretty good at some point because I really invested some time and I had friends and I, I could write like uh, my friends lived uh, in my place and we communicated in German and we exchanged letters I, I recently found some emails I said like I could write an email in German sharing when I went to China I, I wrote the emails in German like telling them how my life in Chinese not anymore again because this language kind of also I haven't practiced it but you know languages they come and go I guess if you don't
0: If you don't work on them. Yes. Well, I'm hoping that uh, one of my inspirations for uh, buckling down with Chinese was when I was talking to a a colleague of mine who had also studied uh, Chinese at university level prior to coming to China. And he's like, do you want to hit the books for like a year? And you just want to focus and you want to get to a point Mm -hmm. uh, that within that time, basically... You can't lose it, so there is that language atrophy that happens over time. But you want to get to the point; you want to study it so much that you can't lose it. And I have found it's very common with all the foreigners that live here in China. They basically they all say the same thing. It's like China Chinese language does not pay off at the beginning; it pays off at the end.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I mean, it's not like Russian
1: yeah. or German. Where the end is.
0: I mean, you got to spend years developing the basics years. of the language. Only then can you pick up a book and go, "Oh, that's what that says," yeah. <laughs> and I actually understand I mean, what, what it means. The,
1: like, do you use Chinese now on everyday um, basis? I mean, in your everyday life, because I know it's impossible to live in Beijing and never use Chinese. Actually, and go by easily, but how? Like, yeah, how much Chinese.
0: The I mean. I can have basic conversations. Uh, mm-hmm. I can make my, my desires known. Like if I need to buy something, uh, if still talking to some of the taxi drivers, I don't get what they say, but they have accents, that's um, awesome. which that, that's just an excuse because a lot of my failure to understand is vocabulary. It's, it's just that I don't have my vocabulary isn't as wide as it should be in order to have a sustained conversation. But if, some, if I was like a, with my Chinese teacher, when she gives me, you know, a, a softball, you know, you can hit this one, Steve, you, you got this, then I can respond in full sentences, albeit a little bit grammatically terrible. Uh, but my vocab can shine in that si- uh, situation. But if it's on the street, you know, someone asks me a question. Uh, I mean, I can usually get it. Uh, and I can stumble my way through it. But it's by no means fluent. Um, it, it's actually kind of terrible to think that I've been here for this long um, and not able to produce enough spoken language to actually communicate in a fluent manner. But I mean, I can read a lot. Uh, I spend a lot of time reading. So the character recognition has gotten a lot better uh, Mm -hmm. and that's helped vocabulary. Um, And as I help the vocabulary, if I read different things, not just my textbooks, but other like books and magazines, that seems to help with the words sticking. And then I can then speak them. Mm later on mm-hmm. and I don't I, I've never really had I do have issues with tones because Chinese is a tonal language but it's that's not why they're not understanding me they would not understand me because I am either saying the wrong word or I am using a paraphrase uh, which to me is a, a, a sign of success where I don't know the exact word but I'm able to talk my way around it mm-hmm. so I'm able to do that a lot more now but I mean some of my some of the words I use that they're just like why would you use that word? Why don't you just say this word instead? It's like, well, cause I don't know that word.
1: So, <laughs> yeah, I mean,
0: there's been a slog, it has been a slog uh, and I, I can't wait until I'm, actually I don't know, uh, to tell you the truth. I mean, you're saying that you've lost your Chinese over time and I do wonder if I ever left China. I mean, I've spent so much time invested in this language. What purpose would my life have anymore if I all of a sudden I was taken out of this country where it's used?
1: Yeah, you know, I was always saying that the time I invested into Chinese, I think I could learn like three European languages in this time and not lose them and have them like on the level much higher than my Chinese. But at the same time, I'm very grateful because Chinese brought film industry into my life and lots of. I, I, like I, I don't uh, feel like I lost this time now. It was a great period, and yeah.
0: You haven't been back to China since then, though, have you? You've. Uh... Uh,
1: no, I have actually once. I went there in 2016. Okay. China, like a short visit. Um, I was in Beijing and traveled uh, to, wait, uh, what's this? To Gulin. Okay. Shanghai and uh, this, it was just a, like, tourist travel. I was surprised because so many things changed since my, you know,
0: what would have been the biggest change? I, I know which, I know what you're talking about, but I want to know what you saw different in that time. Uh,
1: I think the way the China, like all this, the level of life maybe it was obviously much better for many people. I'm not saying for everybody, but um, and 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 how it has become much more modern. Because in the times when I was there, it was. Uh, exotic in many ways because it was behind on some things but I loved it I mean it's not for me it was just like interesting because it's such a different culture and now yeah the way everything was digitalized the way all these buildings were there um, it was amazing I mean the people who sold something in the street like they had uh, apple pay and whatever like all this great uh, and then I think about Russia and then I think even about America where people like still pay cash and <laughs> oh, and I'm like, hmm, interesting how so many people learned so many things in such a short period of time and upgraded themselves on so many levels. This I think the, the also the speed of it. I mean China is known for its speed, but if you don't see it with your eyes, for you it's just like, yeah, there is somewhere in China where some things are happening. You're not really, you don't know. But when you see it and you know how it was. You know, like, wow, well, I went to Tianjin and uh, the whole neighborhood, my university was not there and the neighborhood was not there and, like, nothing was there from what I remembered. And it's some, it took some, like, what, uh, ten, a little over 10 years. Everything has changed. I don't know any other place on earth where in 10 years, like, the whole city looks complete, like, it's rebuilt. Not city, one city, but, like, the whole country.
0: The whole country. <laughs> and, now, you went to Tianjin... Yeah. Normal University, right? Or TJU? Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. no, I, I went to Tianjin Normal, yeah.
0: So is that the one with the big lake in the middle of it?
1: Uh, No, the one, there is uh, Nam Kai and it's That's, still okay. there. That's Namkai. Like, it's very famous. And they they were across the road from each other. But Tianjin Normal does not exist there anymore. They removed uh, it, I think they brought it to a different place, city, or something, oh, okay. and the whole neighborhood does not exist there anymore.
0: Yeah, I've I've been to both. I mean, I've been to Tianjin a few times, so uh, for work trips and for uh, just mm-hmm. for fun and whatnot. Yeah, um, that, and that T, uh, TJU, Tianjin Normal. They've it looks like a new university basically, uh, but I guess they've mm-hmm. rebuilt massive parts of. A lot of these universities look new because they they just spent so much money um, rebuilding everything. Not just in Tianjin, like Tianjin has been completely rebuilt. Uh, I, I'm told that it, it's what whatever the pictures you have from 15 years ago, no longer apply to the modern city. Uh, But I don't know, I mean, I I got here in 2014, 2014. So I was, it was all big buildings, skyscrapers, high-speed rail, I mean, Alipay, WeChat was just sort of taking off when I arrived. So to me, I didn't see China before it became truly modern China. I almost feel like I missed out, and you—you, this is what you—you people who have who visited this country prior to the Olympics. I mean, that's a a a historic moment, basically.
1: Yeah, yeah, and it's—I don't know—it's all gone, I guess. Now there is a big group on Facebook. I think you remember of it. Beijing is—I think it's called Beijingers Abroad.
0: Yep, I've heard Uh, of
1: it. It was created in spring and it was very active in the times of pandemic. And there were a lot of posts there, and I read them. And it was so amazing because I, it's people who lived in China in different periods of time, and now they don't live there anymore. And uh, I like the things people described, it's not there anymore. And it's, I know lots of these things. You know, when I went, like when I started in changing, we still had this Texas, uh, I think they were called or whatever, like this yellow. Um, uh, it's like a minivan, yeah. which cost like nothing, and we shared it 10 students, you know, all piled up in this uh, train. Like, it doesn't exist anymore. It's difficult to even imagine it was there, but it was.
0: Yeah. yeah we don't travel like that anymore we have uh cabs and we have share bikes uh i i ride bikes all the time now that's my my main method of transportation
1: is it a real bike or is it a mod like a, an electric or something i mean the bikes is it like, uh,
0: yeah I, I use a push bike yeah uh, I, I don't use the electronic ones i'm afraid of the electronic
1: ah, one. A normal one. okay yeah i mean uh, I, I use <laughs>
0: I will not yeah, use it I'm thing. afraid I'm going to die if I use one of the electric bikes. That, you know. that
1: was another thing which uh, really was amazing for me. When I came to China, everybody was still using bikes and me too, I mean, I used bike for a year in engine. And when I went and when it was it, 2016, everybody used, mod, not motorbikes, electrical scooters or whatever they're called. Yes. And the crowd of people, which I remember being a crowd of bikers, like not bikers, but bike, <laughs> bicycle users, now it's a crowd of scooter, electrical, and they're so quiet because they like to And there is almost nobody who is using a bike and oh, very few people. I was like, wow, that's also a big change because, I mean, bikes, it was such a big part of China. Yeah, it,
0: well, uh, yeah a lot of people say that when they uh, came in the 90s, it was all bikes. And then now it's, I mean, it's all cars now, um, primarily. If you have the money, you basically buy a car. Uh, the electric bikes, one of the reasons why they did, uh, they went with the electric bikes is because they outlawed or they, they banned gas motors in the city for those, mm-hmm. those uh, motorbikes because they yeah, stayed.
1: Be and it
0: was like yeah. sort of, they, they said it, it was an environmental protection issue. It was more because, I mean, those things were falling apart and they were health hazards. Uh, so, but with these electric bikes, one of the problems was that they're so silent. And w- yes. if you were here in 2016, you would have still been exposed to the, the delivery people on the motorbikes honking their horns. So they would let Mm -hmm. you know half a mile away that they were going to be ripping by you very soon if you didn't get out of the way you could get hurt they don't even do Mm -hmm. that anymore there's no more honking there's very little honking anywhere i don't know what changed i don't know what government policy came out but the bikes uh the cars even don't honk as much as they used to so in the six years that i've been here that's the one big traffic change that i've noticed that it's a lot quieter relatively Mm -hmm. speaking. It's also a lot more dangerous because you do have to watch where you're walking because uh, those bikes they go both ways. <laughs> they do. It might be a one-way street, but uh, no one's going one way on the on those streets. They're going all ways wherever there's an empty hole. They're basically uh, taking the taking the opportunity to get through. Um, but speak, so you've basically you're now in New York. You've camped, You've been to China. You said you could have learned many European languages in the time that you spent learning Chinese but how is your French these days given that we did meet in Montreal uh were you studying French at that time um in an effort to were you thinking about moving to Montreal uh permanently or was that just a stopover like for me because for the background story for those don't know us uh, we met in Montreal doing the CELTA course which is the glorified English Uh, ESL teaching certificate that basically a lot of foreigners get, a lot of expats get if they want to continue teaching English to uh, uh, overseas or even within North America. Um, So was Montreal a stopover for you or was it a serious consideration to live or was it uh, basically just education and that was it you were going to get out as soon as you were done the course?
1: Uh, So Montreal actually... No, it was not a stopover. I I considered moving there for about, uh, like my, I was connected to Montreal for about eight years because my uh, ex-husband is Quebecois and he lived in Montreal. Um, I did not move permanently there because our relationship fell apart and it did not happen. But um, I, I spent quite a lot of time there in the eight years we were dating and then we got married. Um, I don't, yeah, I learned Chinese. I could speak it, not Chinese. I learned Chinese, I well. learned <laughs> French. I could speak it pretty well because he was Québécois His whole family, they spoke French and his sister, for example, even though she lived in Montreal, which is like a two language bilingual city, uh, she could not speak any English. So to communicate with his sister, I like, or his family for that matter, I had to learn French. It was pretty good. I mean, it was not as good as my English because I uh, know English is like my second, I don't know, second native language. I don't even think uh, when I speak English, French, um, I was not so good, but it was pretty good. I mean, I could communicate with his family quite easily at the end. Um, yeah, Montreal is a nice um, city. It's quite beautiful, but it's not my place. I mean, I feel much more home in New York, to tell you the truth.
0: <laughs> is it just because of the, the X or is it just the city itself wasn't? Because I no,
1: never. Okay. Uh, It's a a beautiful city and uh, it has culture and it has a lot of French, by the way, culture because lots of French people moved there in the last couple of years, not recent years. But um, I think it was not my kind of place because it was for me too small, too quiet. Though I know that it's not small and it's not quiet by Canadian standards, but I mean uh, by my personal standards, uh, it was not big enough. Uh, and um, I got very, I got, I dived into Quebecois culture a lot, and it's a very specific, like I mean, it's a very, it's a culture of a certain number of people, which is not so, like there are not many Quebecois. Again, in my <laughs> estimate, right. from person who comes from the country, they have their own specific like uh, perspective on things and their own culture um i know that montreal has all the other side like of english-speaking montreal which i got to know a little bit uh but not as much because i more circulated in the circles of uh russian friends which i made there or the people and uh, i don't know i just didn't feel home there i guess but i do feel home in new york so new york is just my type of
0: Right. Montreal, whenever people talk about moving to Canada and they say something like a you know small city, I go, why don't you just go to Montreal? It's such a better city. At least it used to be. I, you know, I say that because I visited there the first time 10 years ago or 12 years ago, and I thought it was great. But I remember even talking to Montrealers then. They're like, it's not what it used to be. It, Montreal had changed in the last couple of decades, uh, I guess, since the mid 90s or so. Uh, it's sort of th- more things moved to Toronto rather than to Montreal
1: yeah maybe maybe Toronto is more active Montreal was a little bit kind of there there it's a different type of like I don't know New York I give an example you can meet people late there are lots of people for whom let's say work is or what they're doing is more about Montreal struck me as a city where people more like European maybe lifestyle as I imagine it where people value their family life they value uh their quite like i don't know the privacy of the lot, but like i did not manage to meet their people who i get better together with who are like crazy about what they're doing can work yeah. sleepless nights can uh, not like party outside because no i mean party too but um just work a long hours don't stop working at five and go home and say okay that's my life i mean i'm not this type of person and i like in montreal i had a feeling everybody is much more not crazy so much about what they're doing but crazy about their other side of life which is family and i don't know kids and it's uh not my it wasn't my lifestyle and it was not so like i was looking for something like where are all these people who are doing something creating something crazy about this working like you know I was not able to find these people i'm not saying they're not there by the way just... <laughs> no
0: absolutely uh because with montreal uh at, we went to the montreal film festival which has since shuttered its doors uh it recently basically yeah. closed up shop uh, mainly because a lot of the big movies chose to premiere at in toronto rather than montreal these days um but i remember thinking just how cheap Montreal uh, Film Festival was I was like wow this is actually kind of affordable and it was a very global experience in contrast to something like TIFF like Toronto Film Festival where it was a lot more big budget big business sort of um, uh, movies and I know that's just a very uh, narrow view of it but in terms of what you're saying of where are the people who are you know live this life that. Montreal is known for you know the Just for Laughs uh, festival it was the film festival before they had great hockey teams in the past but I mean have since sort of petered out Uh, but yeah I mean it it used to be such a great cultural icon and it sort of just sort of slowed down maybe because people just got older like you know what we don't need to work so hard anymore why are we what are we working so hard for you know let the people in New York or Toronto do it instead we'll just you know sit here and chill out
1: Entry, very affordable compared to new york I and mean, then it's much more affordable that's
0: true i was surprised at how much uh, i was paying six hundred dollars a month for my little bedroom uh that was very tiny but it was just down the street from schwartz uh and uh lemay the uh, the hand or whatever it is the uh, uh the two um roast beef sandwiches places. I was like right down the street from St. Denny. I was in the uh, I can't remember what district it was, but it was just a fantastic place to be. I'm like, why don't I just live here? Um, yeah,
1: yeah.
0: The reason I didn't stay, uh, other than the fact that I wasn't really offered a job, unlike you, you were offered a job in Montreal. Um, yeah. But with I had a job already lined up in China. And when I was talking to people about living in Montreal, they said you it's cheap, but there's not as much uh, not as many opportunities to make money they're just i mean your your prices are higher but you're not going to have as many students whereas like if you move to a place like china or south korea as an english teacher mm-hmm. you're going to be able to find that much more clientele to work with yeah but and
1: how do you, like uh, you work uh, you used to work as an asl teacher right in china that's
0: mostly yes we do a lot of uh, language consultation work at basically helping uh, students clients People of all ages uh, figure out their their English level uh, and sort of guide them in the best way to sort of attain because a lot of them are going to go overseas and study. So what we do is we're basically just the gateway. We uh, it's very yeah we are not the final step. We are we enable them or help them sort of uh, set a milestone. In their in their language journey and then they go do the university uh basically because they either have to prove the proficiency or they uh they just want to you know know what level they are at at right now so they know how much more they need to go uh basically and that's that's all i do but yeah it's not it sounds great but it's kind of a can be boring at times it's not as fun as being in a classroom full of students because we meet a lot of people one-on-one but uh um, I don't miss teaching large classrooms, but recently I have started thinking, what if I could return to that? What would I do? I don't think I'd work with kids. Uh, I know that you work with kids and uh, I did want to talk to you about your, your ESL business in New York. Uh, but with me, I don't think uh, teaching at an international school, first of all, I'm not qualified, like the CELTA doesn't get you that. Um, you need an actual education degree to do that. Um, but for me, it would be back, basically back to a university or um, a private institution, basically. So we'll see. It is, it is a possibility within the next couple of years. I don't know. Uh, it's just with things that are happening, this pandemic uh, has greatly tampered demand, um, but teaching demand is still there, but other services are sort of on the, on the because every, uh, universities have gone online teachers have gone online businesses have gone online so you need that online presence that online teaching rather than in person you don't need to employ a foreigner an expensive foreigner in the country anymore it could be uh, done a lot online these days
1: yeah that's true
0: but so you moved moscow montreal now were you going to new york at all when we when we were in Montreal, were you at all going down to New York? Because I faintly recall this conversation uh, between you and me. Uh, where were we walking downtown Montreal? And you had this idea to start a business. And so I'm looking at your website here, this uh, DreamMoversCamp.com. This is your business that you started. You've been running it for uh, well since 2015. It says uh, season yeah. 2015. Uh, and yeah, for those
1: I it to be serious,
0: <laughs> and the, you know, it's it's kind of it's a good creative touch, I think. Uh, for those who go to this website, uh, I hope you read Russian because it's all in Russian. I couldn't find an English link, uh, but uh, so you started this in 2015. So I'm wondering when you when we were talking about this because uh, we were talking about this naturalized English course where someone a client would pay for the opportunity to not unexpectedly, but to know that there is a teacher out there who was going to call them or send them an email. And just for five minutes, like, this is what we're going to work on. We're going to, how's it going? You know, your basic five minute conversation sort of as like a check-in, but that would be in addition to your, uh, the courses, uh, that you would formally study with is, is this where this, where you were taking this dream movers camp that you're doing or what happened? Where did this Dream Movers Camp idea come from?
1: I don't know. I don't know where ideas come from. I think it was a combination of things, but um, it's difficult to say. Like um, I think it's accumulated because I, I have been teaching English um, for a lot of years of my life, uh, actually, because in China when I studied, Uh, As a foreign student, I needed some money to travel because $100 was enough for food, but not for traveling. And so I worked there in school for a year and in kindergarten, into kindergartens. So I taught this Chinese, you know, uh, classes of 50 people in one 45-minute English lesson. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It was an interesting experience. And um, then I, I dropped teaching because I worked in the film industry, but then after I left film industry, I went back to teaching. I was a private teacher. Uh, and I don't know, I went a lot to Montreal and all this English speaking environment around me. And I always thought like my students whom I teach, I kind of created artificial for them because my students are Russian. Uh, as much as I can with my lessons, but this thing, which is so ne- needed, like this environment, how can I bring that to them? <laughs> I mean, because it's out there. Uh, and then in 2014, uh, we had the big crisis in Russia when, uh, like it was another one of many, uh, when something happened, the dollar versus the ruble rate and like the uh, dollar, nah, like ruble dropped down became very cheap. And I realized that every like everything I'm making uh, in robots does not I mean I'm making twice as little now in any foreign currency. And so how about my traveling? I mean like how right. going to pay for my travel. And I think combination of these factors like I, I've been thinking, I had some ideas before, like, but this really this idea worked. So I had it was winter 2014, 15 when I had this idea I thought, and I always loved New York. I mean, I was not going to move there at that moment of my life because I was going to move to Montreal, but I always liked New York. It was always the place. I just, when I moved here, finally, I was asking myself only one question. Why did it take me 10 years to realize that this is the place I always wanted to live? And like, why I never, like, why it took me such a long time, I mean, to realize this? Uh, So I had this idea where I would bring kids for three weeks in New York, and use the city as the classroom because the city is the environment uh partly I chose New York okay because I loved it but also I chose New York because it's a rich environment it has a lot of museums it has a lot of beautiful architecture it has all types of people so there is something there if I use an environment to build my lessons on it and all the lessons I built on on New York, so I mean, then I need something which I cannot bring them to the ocean and just let them surf. I mean, this will not work for my what I want to do with the kids. So I had this idea that I would bring them. And another idea which I had is that usually camps and uh, language schools, they the kids live on campus, and so they they get to know somewhat the country if it's a foreign country, uh, but it's not really. It's not really the same as if you get to live in the city and experience the city as if you like as if a real new yorker in this case uh and because i had such a i don't know vast experience of living and traveling in other countries i thought how can i create this model where they experience uh life in the city not as students on campus i mean which is also pretty great but I, my kids are teenagers of 11 to 15 so it's not the age where they can travel like freely around the town by themselves but how can they reproduce this still in some somewhat so they can experience living in the city and not on campus uh and you and like get the environment every day but still learn something and that's how the idea was born of dream uh and the, the the name it was uh it's another story how it was born but uh, in many ways it's like philosophy of my camp because i also thought that new york is the city where all the people come here to realize their dreams whatever they are and this is a good place to talk about the philosophy of dreams and like what does it mean if you want to do something in life and i think teenagers is a good years to talk about this like if you want something in life how do you understand you want it how do you i mean what do you need to do to realize it it's not just sitting and dreaming and so my first camp, uh, I had, because I had experience of organizing uh, film shooting abroad. So the idea of bringing kids to another city did not scare me maybe as much as it would have scared other people. I, I just really, um, in, in the film industry, I moved from like translated to director's as assistant, but then I was a producer assistant coordinator. And then I became like, in my last movie, I was like, I, I had the function of line produce I don't know what they put on credits but so I, I knew how to make a budget I knew how to make a film shooting schedule so I had this uh skills which were pretty useful at the start of your business because that's what I did I I, I counted okay if I rent a house and put the kids there and like this number of kids how much money do I need for three weeks so I made a budget for this and then I try like um I thought lots. It's fine. The funny thing is that when I got this idea, I in my life I was in New York only three days, so basically I did not know New York. But I thought like, you know, well, of course it's like a great city, and what's the problem of you know you have internet for for all the research and everything. Um, I had a, like the idea was there. Of course, over years it became um, I don't know. It, it's now a solid program with certain approach and stuff but the first time when you're doing something it's just you know experimental and I thought um, I had an, I, I taught mostly students from upper middle class uh, families in Russia and I also knew I think what also helped me with my idea I knew um, because I was like very closely communicating with them so I knew that when their parents paid money and sent them to schools in England let's say or in Malta I knew what were things they were unhappy with And I knew what they didn't like. And so I thought, okay, maybe I can offer something which will be different from this experience because I'm not in any way competing with any foreign language schools. It's not, I'm doing something different. Uh, And uh, so first students, I I, I was selling to the parents of my students. Uh, And uh, the first, my first client, his parents gave him this trip uh, for his birthday and he was the first child. And I needed like, in my, uh, like, in my estimate, I needed five people to make it work. Uh, so when they gave him for the birthday, I thought, okay, if, I, if I'm not able to sell my program to five people, uh, I would take this one guy, because they gave it to his birthday. So I cannot like, you know, dump him and say, you know, sorry, yeah. this year, the- oh, <laughs> that'd be I would just take him We'll rent an apartment and I would show him New York, you know, like I was so, like I, I so much wanted to do it. Nothing could stop me at this point. And so, but then I had in my first uh, camp, I had how many, six people, I think. Uh, and all of them were either my students or I used Facebook and Instagram. And like I sold it to people. Um, and I was lucky I think with the house because house was a big part of my concept I wanted to have a nice place I wanted to show them um, New York as I saw it when I was first time here and fell in love with it so it was in the same neighborhood and I I, I spent hours and hours looking for a house in Airbnb but everything was very expensive or very far or not working. And so I found one house, I booked it with my personal money because I mean, I didn't sell it to anybody. I booked it, they transferred money from the card, but I continued looking because it was not ideal. Like I really wanted. And then almost right after I booked it, I saw this um, ad and the photos were very strange but the house, there were a lot of books in the photos, which is unusual. Like, not many people, I mean, not unusual for New York, now I know, but genuine unusual for North America to have a lot of books in the house. I was like, hmm, that looks interesting. This guy has a lot of books. And so I wrote him a, a long email. Ah, and in those times, 2015, Airbnb was very different. Now it's a business site where people mostly rent, not their real own houses, but they buy, they invest into properties and they rent them out on Airbnbs. In 2015, it was not the case. Yeah. Airbnb was really there is a site where people let other people in their own homes mostly they were no like there was no such thing as you know renting out your secondary or third property in there and rental properties so (laughs) yeah the idea of letting in a group of teenagers from russia for three weeks into your home in new york also you know uh was kind of like it was bold (laughs) uh you don't know what these people so I, i had a very long like letters i wrote to people they were i mean messages on Airbnb, but basically they were like long long messages i explained my idea like that i'm sure it will be fine because these kids are all from good families they all have like big houses themselves and like you know and stuff like this so uh, and this, uh, so I saw this beautiful, no, the photos were not beautiful, but something there, like I saw books, and I wrote the long email to the guy explaining, and I said at the end, I don't know why it's too up to this day, I don't know why I did it, but at the end I asked him, are you by any chance a writer? Uh, and on Airbnb, you don't have, a, like, you don't, until you pay, you don't know the details, so I could not Google him, or I mean, there was no maybe Google photo search, like it is now or something, so... I just didn't know. And he wrote back and like, he said, do you know me? And I said, uh, <laughs> no, I do not know him, <laughs> but it was just a wild guess. And I don't know why even I asked this question, but like, yeah, he turned out to be a writer. He's a, uh, not a fiction writer, but nonfiction writer. Uh, and he wrote, by the way, a lot of books uh, on the uh, USA and China uh, oh. because his wife is Chinese and he can't speak Chinese and he was, Uh, He opened the office of New York, uh, I don't know what times or New York or one of these famous media, he was the first, to. Oh, he was like the head of the office in China because he could speak Chinese. And so it was like lots of interesting things which connected us. And we exchanged because he's a writer, he writes like long, beautifully worded letters. So I like spend hours and hours, you know, <laughs> trying to make my letters look uh, well written in like, you know, in English and we exchange them. And so he basically learned the house to us and this house became, um, the home of dreamers camp for the next five years because he we became like friends and he always uh, rented the house to us uh it's in a very good neighborhood in brooklyn and um yeah and so the the first time it was all experiment which worked well and then over the years the program like i worked on the program there are certain elements of it which work uh, and i know how it works and i know i don't know it's very um, I like my project, I guess. Now it's not there and I don't know when it will come back.
0: <laughs> uh, you're on hiatus right now because of this uh, pandemic that's um, been enforced right upon us. So what, when you say there's the elements, what are the elements of your, your camp? Like what do the, the kids go through?
1: Uh, so the elements are uh, New York is the biggest element the city and what it has to offer. And what it has to offer are all these museums and uh, beautiful Uh, things here so the program is built like they have lessons in the morning uh, because they are Russian up to now they were Russian kids mostly who um, came to New York and they want to practice language but of course not only so my lessons I created them all myself and they're built on um, everything we're going to do here so I use the elements and the language and the vocabulary and whatever of the things which are which are then the things we do for example uh, we go to 9 11 uh, museum and memorial and before this we'll have a lesson about 9 11 so and then after this we'll have a, a like a dreamer's hour it's called an evening something when we will close up this team so everything which is happening to them there are no lessons out of the books or not connect everything is connected to what they leave through here to what they see here and uh, it's also connected throughout the day because in the morning they would have lesson uh, with some information, with some words, with whatever, then we'll go there. And usually in the museums or wherever we go, we have personal, um, like I, I hire people who do things with them, or it's a personal excursion, like not with other people. So, um, so very, very often it's a workshop where they have to do some things. It's interactive in the museum, uh, and then we have uh, like in the evening a recap where they have like it's. I use uh, a lot of, like we use creative writing and uh, they create things, they write, they draw it not all they prepare projects. So I use New York as, as the, the everything which gives us material for styling
0: sounds like it's an actually uh, practical school curriculum that you've come up with something that most classes completely lack doesn't it
1: yeah I, I guess so so this is one element then and like it includes museums and visiting the other element is uh, a creative project and it's either a filmmaking or a theater uh filmmaking because i mean i have this experience and because i think it's super cool for kids and because new york is a very it's a beautiful background for filmmaking. And I mean, lots of films, it's just created to, to be filmed. Uh, so we work on the project that we have a person like who works with them, but I can guide them through. Um, and it's a very interesting process as well because we, we become a, a shooting, like I don't know, film crew. They have different roles. Uh, I tell them, they lots of them don't know what the film industry is about. And one of my ideas when I introduced filmmaking was because when I started working in filmmaking, I was like, why didn't no like why nobody told me there's a whole part of life with I mean such great jobs there and like I did not know anything. Uh, of course nowadays I think most of the kids know more because like I don't know, everything is much more uh, transparent, much more but connected. still much, yeah, much more connected. But it's one thing to know, and the other thing is to really record the sound on the set for like two days of filming. It's very different. Uh, so they have all the roles which they um, like assign themselves whatever they feel like doing and then I tell them that now it's your responsibility guys you have to create a film if you don't we will not have a film I mean I'm not uh... and then I give them the responsibility and then it's very interesting to see what they are doing with it how they are going through how they're dealing with difficult so there will be person who writes the script they brainstorm that is there will be person who will be responsible for uh i don't know the props there will be a person who will be responsible for recording the sound so I, we ha- they have different roles actors director uh the camera person and uh, it's a lot of work usually we have two days of filming uh like full days usually 12 hours because it's never film <laughs> like it's never <laughs> shot the of the plan. Uh, especially with kids and and then they realize that it's very difficult it's work it's a lot of work but then at the end uh, we have a film usually five to eight minutes. Everything is in English, of course. They communicate in English. They write the script in English. They film in English. And then um, they have this product, which is made here. And it's nice. It's uh, one thing. And the other is the theater. And, but it's not um, classical theater. It's improv theater, which okay. is play theater. Uh, I am myself a member of the playback theater company. On top of all the things I'm doing, I'm also <laughs> a playback actress, a playback theater actress and conductor. Uh, and so I when I started doing this playback, I thought, wow, it's great for English. Uh, learning, because in classical theater, you learn, uh, you, you get the words, you learn this role, and you act it out. Basically, it's great, it develops some skills, but that's only limited number of words you can I know, learn. In pro theater, playback theater, because there are different types, it's very different. The idea of playback theater is that um, the audience comes, and they are sharing their stories and the actors on stage play the stories back. They just listen. There's a conductor who asks the questions, uh, who kind of guides this whole process. And then the actors without uh, any preparation, without any discussion, they just play it back. So I thought, wow, it's great for English because you get to share the stories, you get to listen to English spoken, you get to tell your story and um, we don't of, like we don't always prepare the playback performance in the time we have, but we do a lot of improv games and a lot of improv exercises, and they are all great for team building, for opening up, for creativity, for feeling more in touch with the language you're speaking, for like speaking this language to express yourself and not just, you know, to, so it's, it works well. So
0: playback, is that an actual theater troupe or is it like an educational theater troupe? Which way does it go?
1: Playback, it's a method, which is, which has this name. And in the case with, uh, with the students, uh, like in the camp it's, I have a person who, ha- who, who has oh, okay. a lot of experience playback back uh, to kids to teenagers and with each um, group of kids it goes differently some are able in the time we have to go from zero to performance like to play back performance we're yeah. able to act out stories sometimes we don't like we can't do it if the kids are young or something and they just do a lot of playback exercises and playback dialogues and like I mean improv um things uh because playback it's improv theater so yeah so this is another element
0: right because I was thinking that because you were part of this playback theater group that's based in uh Moscow as well Uh, yeah I saw saw there's so that that's where you got this idea to apply this sort of improv improvisation to the, yeah. the classroom. So, are you combi- your your playback English lessons? Are they this uh, taken at the same time as the, the Dream Movers camp, or is it two separate elements?
1: It's part of the Dream Movers program. Yeah, it's just some seasons we have filmmaking. So they have these lessons, they have uh, museums, and they have creative uh, project going on all at the same time. It's part of the program. So some seasons creative project will be filmmaking, some seasons it will be playback theater. It depends on the year and on the no, I don't know, it's different factors. Yeah, it all goes at the same time.
0: What happens to the, the movies? Do you ever post them or are they sort of given to the students and let let to sort of be in their no, own? No, they're
1: all on my site, so you can see them there. They're all, by the way, in English, so people can understand them. They are, maybe it's not like, I don't know, I need to work on the site structure. I created in 2007, maybe so, but they are hidden in the seasons, like each season. Oh, okay has its own page and each season, if they produce a the movie, it's there. Uh, and they, we usually have the last night of the camp. It's a premiere of the movie. It's when they see the movie for the first time.
0: Oh, yeah.
1: <laughs> and it's usually a very emotional moment. And they're like, oh, no, no, we don't want to look out self oh, how did we make it like usual teenage reaction? Yeah. Uh, and then we have uh, usually part of our camp is that when in Moscow in the autumn, like October or November, uh, we have a meeting um, with their parents and uh with them and they come together and we if it was a film we watch the film on like big <laughs> big screen and uh i don't send it to their parents until then uh, it's kind of a premiere for their parents um and uh, yeah so what's the parents
0: it. reaction to this what, what do they think of it
1: my parents usually like it we have a very interesting thing is that I think the topics they choose for filmmaking because they brainstorm ideas and they have complete creative freedom of what they're gonna create. And I, from my like experience of uh, so far, uh, they use um, filmmaking in many ways as like, um, how to say, it, to deal with the processes uh, of, I don't know, it's in it, like uh, our last movie was all about death. So the main characters <laughs> were kids who left and like they ran away and there was a killer who kind of killed them. But if you like, if you go one step above all this, you understand that it's teenagers dealing with the questions of death, with the questions of separation from their parents. But they do it like in the creative form, and they like live through this. Like the main characters are kids who have no parents, or they have very unhappy families of stuff. It's not the case of the kids that I'm teaching, but it's the way they kind of deal with their reality creatively. It's very interesting to you know. It's a very that. heavy subject. Yeah, parents have different reactions. In the last movie, I knew some parents would be um, not so happy with the roles their kids had got to play, and it's they choose themselves. It's not like I say you're gonna play this role. I take minimum creative influence in their prose. I just let them. I create the space in which they can create what they need to. And like one guy was, you know, like a corpse covered with blood <laughs> in the bathroom. Uh, And his mom was really unhappy. She thought it was wrong. But I thought like, um, yeah, I mean, but this is your son. He chose to play this role and uh, I cannot uh, bring like this. I mean, it's his choice and he can do it. Is
0: there ever a time where you have to say no and sort of guide them a little bit differently? Say, you know what, this is probably not a good idea. I don't want to say censorship, but I mean, is there ever a guiding hand? Like, can we think of something else yeah, instead of ask,
1: this? We sure. just ask them questions and stuff, but there is no censorship now. I mean, so far I haven't. I, I, I think I believe in giving like as much as possible. For, I, I mean, creatively. We have very, we have rules that because it's a camp. I mean, there are a lot of rules on everyday basis, which they have to observe. But in terms of creating films, no, it's um, super, it's interesting. They all usually, for some reason, they choose to shoot a lot in the house. Maybe they are inspired by this house because it's a beautiful brownstone, three-story, nice uh, building. And we, like, they choose a lot of scenes are in the house, usually. I don't know, maybe they're inspired by the house.
0: Well, it's what they know. (laughs) Wouldn't it be more familiar to them than
1: going out to a cafe or something? Yeah. Well, we had to shoot in Subway and in pizza places and in the park. What is great in New York, like if you try to shoot in Moscow, you would be stopped right that minute and you wouldn't be allowed to do this. What is great in New York, like you can shoot in Subway and we have camera and people and sometimes even like portable light and stuff. And there is no, like you can do it.
0: People like, yeah, it's just another day in New York, whatever.
1: (laughs) Yeah, exactly. another, you know, you can create things. Yeah, so uh, it's very intense, you know, three three weeks in New York. Uh, there is one more, I think, part. So there is this creative project, there are lessons, there is visiting of museum, so they learn a lot of things about New York. And, and one more part, it's like uh, practical, as I call it. It's we go by subway every day. We go to the supermarket to buy stuff. I mean, of course, I order most of the food, but still we get to go to the supermarket. So we have like this thing I call... Um, Okay, what I call it doesn't matter because of the, But like they, we have a person <laughs> who has to uh, make a, a route from where we live to where we're going. Okay. Uh, and it's it's kind of, it's, what, it's part of the problem. For some kids, it's really difficult. They don't know how to use Google Maps. They were always driven by their parents everywhere. They're now being in the subway or things like this. Uh, some like it's, and I think it's a good skill. And so they, we make sure they have this Google app. I teach them how to, Find your bearings how to make food how to find them in, like this exit in you and uh, it's uh, part of the program that they everyone has to do some people like it and they want they volunteer for more than once but some people really struggle with it uh because they're not used to it because they i don't know i used to being driven everywhere and do they have
0: to use the subway or is it can be any method of public transportation I, I understand the exercises to make your way through the city but it sounds like you're you're using the subway because it's probably the easiest most efficient
1: yeah it's the most yeah, popular way to travel in i know we sometimes take bus, but most of the things here you go by subway yes so that's the way you move so what around they, in New York.
0: do you ever teach them paper map reading skills or is it all just google maps
1: no, it's mostly Google Maps uh, mm, paper, not really. But even with Google Maps, they really struggle. Lots of kids cannot read a map. Like, they don't understand if you look at the map and, like, if you stand, how do you understand where you're standing in connection? <laughs> I mean, there is a dot there which helps a lot, but then you need to understand. Uh, where to move and what happens in manhattan because there are many skyscrapers your signal very often is again it just you have a signal but you're going one direction and it shows on the map you're going another direction it happens often times in manhattan because of i guess because of the skyscrapers i don't know or because of the crappy uh signal generally wi-fi really? signal in, yeah, I
0: see in beijing yeah, china. in china you don't have that issue i mean there's always a good signal i mean yeah in Russia,
1: you don't either but in america the you would be surprised how these services are behind here. Like internet in the home, I'm not even going there. It's like unbelievable for people in 21st century, you know? Uh, yeah, so they like, still you need to understand how to go and for some kids that's a bit like they don't know how, it's a good skill. Crazy,
0: that's that. I mean, so you're actually teaching them practical skills that they can actually use, have, so this, the, the kids when they go back because they're they're going back to Moscow after this or back to Russia do they uh, do you ever hear from the parents and like stories about how the kids are now behaving it's like I can't drive my child anymore he just took off and took the subway or I mean is there any sort of
1: some kids change and not necessarily the way the parents for some parents it becomes a surprise because when you discover some like I don't know creative freedom for three weeks it, it can change in teenage uh at this age and uh, i had one guy who he's like a very i think he's a born businessman he was like wait how old was he 14 or 13 uh and he had this idea of selling um lemonade in the streets and again in russia you cannot just go to the outside and sell whatever <laughs> you want it's not possible so he got this idea, I said, yeah, of course. So let's make it a project. You need to understand what you need. Like are there any other people who want to, they had a group uh, business project like of selling lemonade. So they invested something, they counted what they need. We stood on the corner of our street where we live and they made like I think 75 dollars in like uh, one and a half hours. Yeah, people are very, uh, I, people are very uh, generous and also I think kids selling lemonade just like it's a, it's, a, it's a thing here. So you want to, like make them feel good i don't know whatever so this was very successful and uh, then they decided like there was a lot of because it was a team project like business project there was a lot of you know things happening like in the relationship how they wanted them somebody dropped out and came back like what do you do with this money so this was very interesting and um, this guy he's very like at 14 he read all these books like you know stephen covey seven skills of whatever people uh he was very very motivated but his family was very different and they thought all these things were not necessary not uh, i don't know whatever they had a different outlook on his future or whatever when oh, he really? came back he had a big conflict with his family a big one for a year like his mom told me on the phone like i if i knew he would change like this i would not send him to your camp
0: no way but, I mean,
1: I took it okay because it's uh, you cannot control how people change. This is outside of anybody's control. You create the space, and for sure your kid can change in the way you did not want your kid to change, but not in the bad way in this case. He just discovered that you know there is a place on earth where you can like realize what he was already into it. It's His environment was not like this. So it was not a bad change. It was, in my opinion, it was a good change. But of course, if it clashes with your family ideas, like about what he's also very he wanted to be an actor and like he had a lot of actor skills, and his family was not super, you know, for it.
0: Well, but being an actor is not like selling lemonade. I mean selling Yeah, he had all the skills. I
1: don't know what he will do in the future. I mean, you never know, but at least he got a taste of different things. And this for sure is some kind of foundation for your future discoveries of yourself.
0: The only analogy I could come up with, with selling lemonade as an actor would be if you're okay in acting in commercials and like being paid for that, because it's it's the similar, like there's a certain market for it and it's okay if that's what you want to do. But if you have dreams to take on Starbucks, you know selling lemonade okay yes maybe in 25 years when your biography is written we could cite that as the beginning but there's so much more that's involved in the process of becoming the lemonade stand that took on Starbucks whereas you know yeah. say with an actor I mean you can find work as an actor and I mean, you're surrounded by them I in mean, New York I mean people who are just working a job as an actor doing those little bit parts but I mean yeah. to make it into the, the feature films I mean it's a it's a very different life. It's a very different commitment of uh, time and energy. Uh, Are you teaching most of the same kids or do you have kids? uh, Because you talked a lot about the the kids coming from Russia. Do you have kids from any other places?
1: No, I mostly, when I like, uh, I teach, I still teach now, it's online, uh, Russian kids. Uh, That's my main target audience. Um, When I moved to New York, uh, which happened not such a long time ago, only one and a half years, before pandemic, uh, my idea was that now when I live here, it would be much um, easier in a way to uh, do my camp because it's like I lived in Russia and I organized camp here. It was kind of adventure. Right, okay. But I thought if I'm here, it would be easier to also maybe to promote my camp internationally because finally I'm here, I'm based here. Like I can, I had the Russian company, I still have it, but I can have a company in America and uh, then it's a different thing but now with the pandemic everything i don't know what's gonna happen yeah and i'm just waiting to see uh because i don't know when the world will be open and when the kids will be able to travel freely for three weeks you know from other country to another country so uh meanwhile in autumn i tried the virtual kind of equivalent not equivalent because it's you cannot (laughs) make an equivalent of three weeks yeah but i tried some kind of I like, called it virtual adventures of driven so i used videos of new york as it was i mean it was halloween there was autumn there were museums were open so i went to museums and filled did some things there for them uh, i used the mixture of this uh, the, the, like some lessons which you can still teach online yeah and i used actually playback techniques i, I worked together with a guy who's playbacker here and uh, we did some improv games because Playback theater moved online as well. Now I'm part of my playback theater in Moscow and we do online performances actually. Mm, So it was okay. Um, Like I I did it, it was a two hour session. I did 10 sessions for one group as an experiment. I invested lots of time in it because making videos and like creating a new thing. It's, uh, I mean, you need a lot of time. Uh, I think it can, it has potential to grow uh, because like videos and being here it's still to some extent and and like you can do it 360 like there are things i can improve it technical and stuff but part of me is just like i i see potential there i think it can be developed because it was a course based on new york reality using the videos interactive still with creative side everything which i like and it let the kids be creative speak english learn new things learn new words and like it has potential but part of me is struggling with this because everything is online and I like being like in real in person. time with kids. Yeah. yeah. But I understand that if this reality does not come back, let's say in another year, I, I really have to like, this is a solid idea and it can work. I know a lot of things are happening online right now, and it's also difficult maybe to sell things online. And also what's happening in Russia right now, it's Russian is a very different place because everything is open there and life is normal.
0: Uh, <laughs> but New York, yeah. capital of the world, closed.
1: Yeah, compared to every uh, other place, it's like very different. The Russia chose a different way. They did not close much. Most of my friends there had had COVID. So they just like, now it's just as if it's flu. I mean, everything is open. Theaters are open. Cinemas are open. Museums are open. People have a normal life. Um, so for them, um, this online kind of, it's a little bit strange maybe even right. because you can send right. each out to a real camp in Russia. I mean, it's not the camp in New York. Yeah, but it's still a real group of kids. They go to schools there. So I don't know. To Are extent. you able
0: to go back to Russia to go back to Moscow and who knows, maybe run a three week intensive program in Moscow itself?
1: That's a good question, I <laughs> technically I am, and by the way, New York and Russia, even in the worst times of pandemic, like in the worst, uh, when in New York, there were worst times when lots of people died, it was always, all, like, you could always travel between Russia and New York, it was never closed, I don't know why, oh, but okay. I, due to my, like, status and document situation, I cannot go to Russia right now, and I don't know when I will be able yeah. to go back, but yes, theoretically, I can go and, you know, run something there. I still am playing with this idea of videos, uh, I think it can be done. And maybe it has potential not only for Russia, but for some other countries as well, because uh, imagine how many kids all over the world would like to travel to New York, but let's say they can't right now or they can't ever because they don't have enough money yet. And like videos with some kind of interesting program can be like potentially good. The
0: one idea that comes to mind uh, when you're saying this, uh, making it more videos, is that um, by same way by giving them an example you make a one minute, two minute introductory clip of your neighborhood. You say, this is what it is. All the, you break down all the shots and you, I mean, you've done that before and you could narrate over top of it. And then you say, all right, kids, introduce your neighborhood, same sort of just find the same uh, similar shots and introduce your area like that. I mean, or Hey, get them to start a podcast. Isn't that what people are doing these days? Everyone's podcasting. (laughs) Oh, I think it's, no, it's a great idea. I think you can certainly survive and thrive even on the uh, online uh, media world.
1: Yeah. But it needs very different to pro... Like, I don't know, it's... Um I'm I'm also I'm studying here now in like UCLA. It's online. So I'm in New York, but I'm studying <laughs> UCLA. I'm doing business studies and uh, I'm not sure if it's a good or bad idea. Like my initial idea was that I've never had a formal education business and I've had business. So maybe I can learn some things. But sometimes I feel like it's a bad idea because when you don't know how it should be, you just do um things uh intuitively if you have some business kind of personality side uh and when you start learning too much it's all like this uh theoretical information you know which enters your mind and you start thinking oh it should be done like this but it's never done like this actually in reality when you start something it's never done like this only if you're not starting a big business which is like you want all this investment and you go around, run, around. So, apart from this reality, everybody starts in business somehow. I mean, how they can, intuitively, making lots of mistakes and stuff. And sometimes I think that learning, like, I don't know if it's good, it just uh, makes you learn how things should be and they are never in life. <laughs> should be. Yeah,
0: it's always different. So, uh, how long is this program uh, that you're taking? Is it a one uh, year or two a year one,
1: program? It's a one year program, yeah. It's a one year program.
0: Why did you decide to go back to school? You didn't really go back to school. You started going, you've taken an extra program, but you're not actually on the campus uh, at the moment. So what was the uh, impetus behind that?
1: No, originally I was, I wanted to go to Penn University. They have a master and I was even admitted there. They have a master, which is called education entrepreneurship. And my idea was that I want to, uh, it's an interesting program because it's one of the few programs in the whole america maybe the one and only where it's entrepreneurship for people who do education because mbas and stuff it's all great but it's not for education business yeah. i mean it's very different um those and are more for business
0: corporate business. life i mean that's if you want yeah, to become exactly. a manager and,
1: yeah. yes and it has nothing to do with my reality uh this one has a lot to do because Penn is also famous for their education like they're one of the leading schools here in terms of everything they do education wise uh so i was accepted there but then like in march i was supposed to start in in summer last summer but then pandemic kicked in and uh uh, they moved online and with the price and the price stayed the same and the price really big and i was like uh, i'm gonna pay this money for a year of online education um so i dropped out no i mean i said no i'm not going there and uh and I still like I needed because my visa right now I am here on uh on a student visa so I have to study in a way and so I decided okay what can I do while pandemic is there and I cannot study in the university so I found this CCLA program it's pretty interesting and I get some ideas there but sometimes I'm like doubting if it's I mean, is it the same, idea.
0: is it a similar program or is it a uh, uh, very different? No, in the other one, was,
1: it was master's and in UCLA, I'm doing like, it's called certificate program. So it's okay. uh, a program with a number of courses for people who want, uh, who are working already and they want to either change their career or get some more uh, like knowledge in certain areas. I'm doing business administration with a concentration in entrepreneurship
0: but nothing focused on education which is what the no
1: nothing and that's i think the element which is missing for me big time because i mean business is nice but lots of things like business and education it's uh it's still business for sure if you're a bigger tech company who is selling like you know tons of uh everything but the education element is interesting too i don't know when this program is over i will see what i will be doing Everything is changing now in the world. You have to adjust, you know, everything you planned, it yeah. does not work the same it's, way as you planned. So. Yeah,
0: it's it's vastly changed. Uh, so then with your uh, dream movers, is this part of a larger educational company empire that you're trying to set up? I mean, or is it, because uh, when you're saying that um, with the masters, the MBAs, they go and work in corporations, usually to look at venture funding, to, you know, list yeah. on the stock market, on a stock exchange. Is that something that you'd be looking at? or Are you still looking to keep sort of, smaller groups uh more personalized education or how is that going to work for your your school
1: i don't know i don't i think after my education especially i don't want investors funding i don't have this ambitions of being bring um building an empire and also when you have investment funding very often you move the empire that's mm-hmm. where because you give the part of the company to other people and business starts dictating like what you need to do. No, i want to keep it small but i wanted to grow it Uh, to certain level like have not one let's say or two sessions a summer but have more running at the same time and then I had the idea that like my other growing would be in the world before pandemic um, doing the same thing the same model in other languages because it's a replicable model uh, like it's a certain model what you do with kids for three weeks. I have certain principles. It's kind of a program which is which works in certain ways. So it can be done theoretically in French in Paris or in Spanish in uh, I don't know Barcelona or in Chinese in Beijing. idea uh, yeah. The, the, I need a big city. That's the a city with a lot of environment with some museums. What I can build my program on, and then after this uh, it can run. I mean, small groups, I would keep that. I would not, like, living in the houses, I would keep that. Though it has certain difficulties, for sure. It's easier to put the kids on the campus than to keep them in the house. But that's, or in the bigger part, or you know, something. But that's the idea of my program. So you'd not- be
0: teaching teachers, basically. As you're, you're, te- you're certifying sort of a, a methodology <clears throat> of education, of in- intensive maybe- study.
1: Maybe franchising. I I don't. I yeah. didn't know that. But I had these plans. Like it would be somewhere in the future when I. And uh, it would later, be easier later, to later do that. Later, yes. <laughs> yeah, later, later. Yeah. later. Having a company in America, like in based in America, than in Russia. I mean, it's much more easy to do anything international. based here, so. That was my plan. Now, I don't know anymore. Right now, I don't have such a plan. I'm just living and waiting to see what will happen in the world. Uh, Maybe develop this idea with a virtual thing. It might be interesting.
0: That sounds like a good idea. I mean, uh, this is awesome to hear that you've been able to uh, basically move so many times around the world. And you've set up your own business. I'm sure a lot of people would be looking at you going, how... Did she do this? And it's a—it's an amazing feat that you're able to uh, handle, juggle all these these things that are going on, uh, and, and especially since I mean New York City being shut down right now, and now you're making that transition. That and it's probably a very painful transition because all businesses are going through this this squeeze into the online world. It's like, wait a minute—we used to deal with people face to face, and. Now, yeah, exactly. now, we can't to
1: bring children to New York. Now we have to show them New York, you know, through <laughs> through the window, the video. Yeah, but
0: let's be fair. I mean, a lot of them we're gonna watch YouTube movies anyway, and that's how we experience a lot of the world. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean uh, what uh, it? I'm sure it would work in Beijing if you ever decide to set, set up shop here. Uh, I'm sure you could find someone who would do it. Uh, I know that um, the a lot of the. China has cracked down on its English teachers recently. So they want people of a certain education level and they all have police background checks and everything. So it's one of those things. I'm sure there is a go getting uh, Chinese individual or even a foreigner in Beijing. Not that I'm hinting anything, uh, but uh, in terms of setting up a, a, a similar uh, school here in beijing or shanghai would probably be another place uh that that would be a,
1: a think good place i great yeah, because the chinese language is much more popular now it was not then but now lots of people all over the world are learning chinese language and yeah i think it could work i mean it was one of my ideas but let's see how what the world would bring us in terms of moving yeah i don't know it's sounds very exciting but when it happens it's part of your life it's exciting uh but also it just happens to you, you know like um, i guess it's a big change really yeah you know, when you move uh, through cultures and through uh you know languages and places but it's interesting it's the way of life i don't think new york i don't have a feeling new york is the place where i'll like i don't know i don't i think it's one of the most i'm sure i will live somewhere else as well it's just where?
0: Where else could you go? London? I don't
1: know, but it offers, you know, different things. I did not know, by the way, I would live in New York. Uh, it's funny. I always I, thought I would live in Yeah, I did not I <laughs> didn't end up living there. but you know,
0: I, I, there. I didn't think I'd live in Beijing, and yet here I am, six years later, still here. kind of surprised. Yeah, me.
1: actually, six years is quite a long time. I remember I was sold forest, and like, it was just the beginning of stuff.
0: Nice. Yeah, that was uh, that was an interesting. It was a good course. I learned a lot, uh, quite a bit. Yeah. All right, so uh, if people want to get in touch with you, uh, where do they go uh, to uh, follow you and? get in touch with uh, your services, what your, your online education services. I have
1: a Facebook account and Instagram. The problem is I it's all in Russian because I mean, I mostly write for Russian people for my clients or just for Russian people. Uh, so Facebook and Instagram. And yes, I have a site, which as you rightly said, is not translated into English, which is a bad thing, I guess. But there is Google Translate, you know, now when you open the site, you can say translate this site. It translates pretty
0: much. Yeah, it translates automatically now.
1: yeah. So- so yeah i guess my site my facebook page and my instagram would be the places
0: all right uh well we'll leave it there is there anything else that people should know about uh what you're doing and what we should expect from from you in the future no
1: i think we have discussed a lot of things in this amount of time i'm very grateful for your questions you know it's interesting i don't often do but it's actually my first ever podcast so uh thank you very much for inviting me i have one more coming like end of february but this is my first it's very interesting i think to talk about your life and like you get a perspective yourself where you're like oh wow really i moved so much because in every day setting you just do things i mean you don't um, look at it like this
0: yeah it's, like, it's uh well when you move around the world it becomes the, the stress of moving Sort of takes away from the amazing uh, feat of actually moving, especially if it's inter country, intra country, uh, abroad, Mm -hmm. in what light it's the stress of getting through the, the customs channel or the visa channel. Sort of takes away from like the wait a minute, you moved from there to there. How did you do that? Well, it wasn't, it was a lot of visa applications and form filling and stuff like that.
1: Oh, yeah, that is a big part of it. Everybody who is listening to this podcast, you know, this is a big part of changing countries and, uh, you know, things. It's, yeah, a lot of paperwork. But in exchange, you get, uh, I think, I don't know, it opens. Uh, that's why I wanted this camp for the kids, partly, because uh, when you get a chance to live in another culture and speak different language, you become a bigger person inside. Like, that's for sure. It lets you just um, see things from a different perspective.
0: That's all right, good stuff. We, Thank you very uh, much. We'll, we'll leave question. it there. Thank you very much, Anna, for uh, for joining me today. I'm sure people will love this conversation, um, and uh, they'll find all the show notes on my website, stephensurski.com. But uh, okay. uh,
1: that's
0: that's everything. Thank okay. You Thank much. you very much. We'll talk again. Okay. Bye Bye-bye. bye. Bye. All right, so that was episode number 20 of my podcast here. Um, thank you very much for taking the time to listen today. I will have all the show notes uh, up on my website very shortly, Uh And of course, you can uh, find all the links for Anna Bass there. Uh, check out her uh, website, dreammoverscamp.com, uh, which is in Russian, but hey, we live in a modern world. Uh, It's not 2008 anymore. You can Google translate these things very quickly if you need to, if you want to. Uh, But certainly I'll have the links to her her website, her Instagram, and her Facebook for you guys to um, uh, get in touch with her if you need. Thanks again. We'll talk again. Bye bye.